Hey, welcome back. This is Dear Baseball Gods, and this is episode 65. And this week, we've got an awesome guest, Coach Josh McDonald, who is the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator currently at UConn, the University of Connecticut Huskies Baseball. So in setting up this podcast, one of the things I heard over and over about Coach McDonald is that he is a voracious and extremely effective recruiter. So that when he finds a player that he's identified as a good fit for his program, that he's able to go after and oftentimes get that player out competing other schools as a very effective communicator. So I'm excited to hear him talk today about recruiting and about pitching development because those are obviously his specialties. And let's run down his coaching resume real quick. So he's been with uh, UConn baseball since 2012. And since joining the staff, UConn's posted three of its four best team ERAs in the past almost 40 years, so very impressive. He's clearly made tons of strides uh, in the UConn pitching staff. Throughout his time at UConn, he's coached a number of pitchers who've gone on in the uh, to be selected in the MLB draft. He's coached a number of All-Americans. He's coached Players of the Year, freshman All-Americans, all that. So a lot of great accolades. He's clearly done a lot with player development, helping his guys get better and move on to the next level. He's also coached at a number of different levels, including he was a high school varsity coach, and he was also a coach in the Cape Cod Baseball League, which is one of the premier summer baseball collegiate leagues in the country that's where all the top prospects uh, end up playing their summer ball very highly scouted an impressive place to play or coach he's also a UConn alum so he pitched collegiately at UConn so he clearly uh, you know bleeds husky blue uh, along with one of our former guests uh, Kevin Vance so so listen in and hope you enjoy my interview with coach Josh McDonald hey coach so how's everything out there uh, on the east coast <laughs> Pretty good, Dan. It's a it's a little cold today than than, than I'd uh, like it to be, um, but you know we've had a really uh, a pretty uh, wet fall uh, here. It seemed like every other day it was raining, and uh, it's dry right now. So I guess that's pretty good. But yeah, we're we're in the 30s today, and uh, that just Yeesh. lets me know that we got the uh, we got the tough season around the corner. So. Well, you guys probably that, have a pretty nice indoor facility there, right? Because you guys have football and obviously big time basketball. Yeah. So- yeah, we have a uh, we have a huge uh, indoor uh, football facility uh, that we use in the winter. It's uh, it's pretty much perfect for baseball, except we we cannot hit fly balls to our guys in there that are true. You know, yeah. uh, you know we don't have the blue sky things like that. And the other thing is that they don't allow us to go live in there, uh, the university. So um, we have to go to a, there's a bubble like 20 minutes up the road that it, that is close to it. Um, but for everything else, you know, in terms of uh, our, all of our other training we can get done and, you know, in terms of pitchers, it's a perfect facility uh, for them to get their work in uh, throughout the, the cold season. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's nice. I'm sure to be, you know, I came from a small division one university of Maryland, Baltimore County, and we didn't have facilities like that. And my summer team, uh, the Warbird Senators team, I coach, you know, we were up playing at Northwestern and just, you know, getting to do our pregame and their, like, big football field house yeah. was pretty cool. Like, you guys have a lot of resources, and that's uh, – I mean, that's, that pays huge dividends, I'm sure, for you guys in the cold weather. So, <laughs> tell me real quick uh, – tell me a little bit about UConn baseball. So, what kind of yeah. level of play are you guys in, your conference? Like, give me a yeah. little bit of a rundown of what, you know, you would maybe tell a recruit before we jump into all the recruiting stuff uh, on, you know, the, the pitching side. Yeah, I usually I usually call UConn like baseball Alaska, like like we're a part of the United States, but people kind of forget it. I think that's kind of the same way that I look at it from um, 
from the from an NCAA baseball standpoint because you know we are competing at a national level. I, I think some people just want to kind of either forget or discredit it just because you know in January we do have ice icicles hanging off of our houses. You know, well that's why you're huskies. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, about about us, you know, it, it seems to be um, we've always been one of the best programs uh, in the area, and this is going back from the start uh, of our program. Uh, but it seems like in the past, you know, I would say ten years or so now, um, we've really been able to uh, really compete year in and year out on a national level, which is really cool. And there's been a, a bunch of reasons for it. Uh, I think the first uh, very obvious reason is that our university can, continues to get better every day. So we're able to attract better student athletes uh, because of the, the degree that they get. Um, secondly, uh, our athletic department has kind of exploded here in the past 20 years. Um, we have a pretty good women's basketball team, in case you haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> We have, you know, we have three national championships in men's basketball. We have a Division One uh, football program. All things that 20 years ago uh, we did not have. Um, so because of that, you know, it's the same thing. It's sort of the trickle down effect. The other sports have also been elevated, uh, and I think that we're one of them. Uh, our resources are pretty good, and then we have uh, facilities that. Uh, help us to develop over the winter time. You know, we have the Shankman indoor facility that is, that's huge and wonderful and warm. And, uh, you know, we can get in there every single day. You know, one of the things that, you know, we'll tell a recruit is that if you're down in Miami and it's, it's raining that day, you're, you know, you might not be practicing, you know, depending, you get one of those, uh, weird hurricanes that come through, you might not be practicing for a week. We could get 30 inches of snow and we've gotten it and, you know, we're in there. Yeah, you know, you know we we've shoveled out our uh, hitting facility to get in there, so we don't have any days off. So I think that's really, really important for the development part of it. In terms of uh, where we're at uh, on the college landscape, we play in the American Athletic Conference. Um, it's a primarily Southern-based conference. We're uh, we're kind of the ugly duckling in it because uh, we don't look like the rest of the other schools do. Um, but as you know, we're playing great baseball. I think last year we were the third or fourth best conference um, based on the RPI. And, you know, that's another reason why I think, you know, our program has been able to compete at a national level. When we're having years where we're, you know, where we're fighting for a championship in, in our conference, you know, the NCAA has recognized that. And, you know, like last year they gave us an at-large bid. Uh, where in years past, if, you know, when we were in the Big East, if you didn't win, a, you know, either the Big East regular season or the tournament, you were really sweating those days. Yeah, you know, for so, sure. So, so that's really helped us. Yeah, because you definitely, I remember back to my playing days in college, like, you know, in the America East, which is a small conference up there with, you know, we used to have Vermont when they were still at a team. And yeah. uh, today it's like UMass Lowell and UMBC. And, uh, man, I should know better than this Hartford. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> okay schools. But, yeah, you have to win that conference or else you have no chance of making it to the tournament. So talk a little bit about that. Do you, do you think most parents and players, when they're going through the recruiting process, do you think they know – what the situation is to play in the postseason in college baseball? Um, they, they might not know as much in our neck of the woods, only because college sports in general in the, in the Northeast are not as prevalent as they are in other parts of the country, um, you know, it's, it's especially the South. Um, and I think we also have to fight the fact that because we don't have a palm tree 
you know, at our field that we don't know how to play baseball. So I, you know, those are the, the, the two biggest probably things that we have to explain the most when we are doing the recruiting process. But I think as long as we're doing a, a good job of explaining that, that we are competing on a national, national scene, we don't have to just play well for one week in May to go and have a chance to go to Omaha. Uh, you know, every single game that we play, you know, from the first week in February straight through, you know, the end of May is pretty much a playoff game, you know, because every win you get, it, you know, you're, you're building that resume up. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think we do a good job at explaining that, you know, you know, to to players and to parents. But yeah, I just think because it's just not part of our culture. You know, we're we're very much a pro based uh, culture in the Northeast. We have you know we have the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Mets and the Phillies, and then we have all the you know all the all the other pro sports teams that you know it, it very much. Got, uh, I think parents and players tend to um, follow that, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Of, yeah, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, do you, you know, yeah, those those guys in the in the south, their stupid palm trees, and say, look, guys, if there's a if there's a, a flock of flamingos laying on the field, you guys yeah. don't get to play today. Like, come on, like come, come to UConn. Exactly. But you guys have had a lot of success. So obviously, George Springer won a World yeah. Series ring this uh, last wait, year. Yeah, last year. Yep, and then. Uh, yeah. You've had you guys have a, what is it five major leaguers currently out there kicking it? Yeah, we have five major leaguers out there. You know, Springer and Barnes both won World Series back to back years. Uh, Barnes with the Red Sox this year, uh, which was really cool in our area because of all how many Red Sox fans there are. Yeah, and yeah, Nick Ahmed winning a Gold Glove. I think he was the first Husky to win a Gold Glove uh, for the Diamondbacks. And then you had uh, Scott Oberg, who was really awesome uh, in that wild card game for the Rockies. Um, and then John Andrioli, I think after like seven or eight years of really grinding out in the minors, got uh, got his got his chance to to play for Seattle, and then uh, over with the Orioles. So we have five guys uh, and a couple guys still knocking on the door uh, to hopefully join them in the hopefully the next next year or so. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's let's dive into a little bit. So you've obviously coached, uh, as I kind of said in your in- intro. You know, you've coached high school baseball. You've coached in the Cape Cod League. You know, you played at UConn. You know, you coach at UConn. Um, so I want to get into your perspective on player development and the kind of kids that you recruit. But let's kind of first start there. So when you're trying to build your staff for the future, uh, give me a little bit, because we have a lot of parents and, and players that listen to this podcast, and they're always trying to figure out, okay, like, what do I need to be doing with my son? How do I yeah. navigate this recruiting process? So Again, I've, I've heard from a, a bunch of different sources that, you know, you're a very good recruiter uh, and that you're, you're a good communicator, very persuasive, and that you can often outcompete a lot of schools. That's what I said in your intro, um, you know, for some of these guys. Uh, and I know there's, there's tons of that stuff because ultimately people need to feel a certain way about a school. Like, you know, you, you walk on campus and uh, like I had this recently with a kid, uh, one of ours from our program, he had a lot of, of uh, Division One offers and he didn't end up picking the biggest school. Uh, he chose like a, a like a really solid. Uh, he's going to Tulane, but when he oh. stepped on when he stepped on <laughs> Tulane's camp to, campus, yeah. he's just like this is like the place. Like he just loved it. You know, you connected yeah. with the coaches, so it was like a feeling where he didn't have to go to some of the other bigger schools. Like he had a couple SEC schools. He's like, nope, like I'm good. Like I, I want to go here. Um, so tell me about the recruiting process, and also why are you laughing about Tulane? Well, I, I, yeah, because is the kid really good? Yeah, he is. 
that means I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to face him. So that stinks. Oh, so, well, sm- uh, smell you, smell you, Josh. Yeah, I know. Good for Tulane, I guess. No, um, no. I, I well, I, I guess I guess a few things. Um, the, the one thing that we we really try not to get bogged down by um, when we are doing our recruiting process is really what other people think in terms of uh, in terms of what they think about you know the, the players in the area, like the the all the all the rankings and stuff like that. It's nice when we get kids that might be on a PBR top 10 ranking or might be a perfect game All-American or whatever whatever list you end up getting on. But that doesn't kind of um, – that certainly doesn't um, direct us into where our focus is. You know, I think one of the, one of the, the first part is that I think makes us successful is that all of the coaches on our staff have been together now for eight years. All of the coaches on our staff graduated from here. So we have an idea of what works and what works for us. Um, and in terms of, you know, pitchers and stuff like that, the, the, the thing that we try to find is we try to find kids that have what we consider uh, competitive stuff, and I'll go over that in a second, um, that throw athletically, um, and then we really don't worry about the rest of it. So what I mean by that is competitive stuff. You know, are you know do they throw hard? Do they have uh, plus secondary pitches? Um, do they seem to be able to get swings and misses when you go see them? Because um, you know those guys that throw ninety in high school and they're not striking out everybody. It's like yeah. what is going on here? Exactly. <laughs> Why is this kid? How forget the the fact that he's not striking everybody out? How is this kid giving up even a run? You know, yeah. uh, so. So we try to, you know, we try to really, you know, fight through that sort of BS. And then the next part that 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 we look at is, you know, for me, I like watching a kid that when he throws, he looks athletic. I really don't care what his mechanics look like as long as they don't really look stiff. For me, um, you know, I've said it all the time. If a kid looks unathletic everywhere else in his life. We have a kid on our team that looks like that. If he looks like he, he can't catch a football or he's never played soccer, I don't care. But when he's throwing, does he look like an athlete? Does it come out easy? Does his arm work with work well with itself? And I think because of that, um, those guys tend to just have more success when they get up here. They tend to have jumps when they get to this level. Um, it, there seems to be a uh higher potential there for, for those guys so you know we don't you know i'll tell you what very rarely when jeff uh he's he's one of our assistant coach horrigan or coach pender sees a guy they don't really tell me hey this kid is uh what, what his height is what his weight is they don't say hey he's you know he's 82 now but you know with his frame he'll get to this we don't talk about that it's hey he was throwing this you know really good change up or man plus secondary pitch you know really athletic when he throws if he can have a dumpy body and where it's just like how does it look when it throws though does it does, you know does, you know is it moving uh is it is the body working together and then you know the last thing we look for you know and probably the most important does he look like he has an idea and does he look like he's competing out there a lot of guys really like showcases a lot yeah. of guys like hitting the hitting the gun we would much rather see in a game, and we'd much rather, you know, 
you know, get the guy that looks like he's really enjoying, you know, going up against the batter. So, yeah, it's funny you just uh, basically described me because <laughs> I try to only throw balls because if you see me play basketball, you're like, this guy, does he have like some sort of illness? Like, does he have like, motor control issues with his body? Uh, like, I'm not super athletic. I'm like kind of like one of those, those guys, but I like really like the cerebral part of pitching and I, I like mm-hmm. throwing and I looked athletic enough, I think, on the mound. But just like, let's not ever play another sport ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me just sit on my computer or whatever. Well, well I also, th- I also think that that if you if you listen to the other things though, what you're what you're really hearing is that the kid is not a pitcher yet, but you know he he plays three sports and he's super athletic. Okay, uh, his dad was six eight and he's six one now. Okay, his grandfather pitched at uh, Lehigh. Okay, you're just coming up for, for reasons why he's going to potentially get to where you want him to be. Yeah. And I think when you do that, you know, we say all, all the time here, the red flags are going to show up too. You recruit a kid and he has red flags. Very rarely do those red flags go away when he steps on your campus. So if you go watch the kid and the kid looks like he can't feel the bunt, the odds of him showing up day one, all of a sudden looking like Greg Maddox out there, feeling his position, low. If that kid is one nine with a guy on, you're still describing base. me, by the way. <laughs> so just just so you know, this is, this is getting it's getting creepy. But all right, continue. <laughs> if the kid's a one nine with a guy on second base and looks like he doesn't have a clue on how to hold on runners yet, that doesn't mean that shows up when you when, when he gets there. So that's the same thing. A lot of times, I talk about crystal balling. When you see a kid, everybody wants to believe the best version of that kid. To me, what I've tried to do is, in terms of limiting mistakes, and it's getting a lot harder because you have to recruit younger and younger, so this is probably something that it it is. It's definitely becoming an issue with with me, but I just try to envision, okay, this kid doesn't get one bit better between now and when he gets to me. When he gets to me, can he at least compete on the mound so he doesn't have a miserable experience when he gets to college. So he can at least compete and get out. Yeah. Let's not worry about pro ball and draft picks and the other stuff. Can the kid at least enjoy what would be his college experience? Because you know, you, you've been on a, on, on a team, forget, you know, pro or whatever level. But in college, if a, if a kid can't, can't get guys out or he, you know, he really can't compete at that level, they don't like it anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny way of putting it. Like me and me and Kevin Vance, our our, our mutual friend, we yeah. we were real emo about all that. Like when we were pitching real bad, yeah. we're like, dude, it feels so bad inside to pitch bad. And they just want to quit baseball and like go do fun stuff, like you know, yeah, that might be. And in college, there's a lot more fun stuff to go to. Yeah, you know, I think one of the one of the one of the one of the lures when guys become professionals, and I never was one, is that. Does it get more fun than being a professional? Uh, you work at night. Um, you know, you don't yeah. punch in a real clock. Uh, what you do for a living is getting guys out in front of fans who either cheer or boo you. That's pretty cool. So even when you do, when you're when you're not doing well, it's still a cool job. In college, if you're not playing and you have to still go to class and do all these other things, and this thing now becomes a hindrance, when you're like, man, I'm spending forty hours a week trying to get better at something I'm not very good at. 
when I could be hanging out, you know, with, you know, with the Pike boys, you know, having, you know, having toga night and, you know, <laughs> losing my mind on the weekend and, you know, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, tailgating for the football game, whatever it ends up being that, you know, you really limit yourself to because, you know, <laughs> UMBC has to go down and play the, you know, the Snowbird Classic in Port Charlotte for spring weekend instead of going to Cancun. You start to go, you know what? There are more fun options for me to have here, and I'm miserable. So um, I, tr- I try to limit those things in terms of I'm trying to get a guy where he hopefully he does not feel that way when he, when he walks in. You yeah, know? that makes a lot of sense because it, there's definitely that learning curve as a freshman. I mean, you probably expect to some degree that kids are going to come in and get beat up, right? They're, they're going to yeah. throw their 87 and try to pump it by him at the belt like they did in high school yeah. and get destroyed. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think keeping guys – because I, it seems like a big decision point at that point in their life because you're right. Like when I look back at my college career, when you look back at yours, you don't go get, get to do all the normal stuff that all the other kids do. And you, nope. and you trade that because you enjoy playing baseball and you yeah. enjoy your teammates. But if you don't, like you don't get those four years back. Like you just had a miserable four years. Correct. And uh, I'm sure you, both of us have, like, I know I can think of a friend now. She's a soccer player. Like, she does not speak fondly of her four years in, in college soccer. You know, yeah. She, she didn't have fun. She didn't like the school. Her coaches, hmm, not great. Her te- You know, it just was not the experience that she hoped it would be. So I think that makes a lot of sense in the recruiting. Like, you're still recruiting people. So. Yeah. And to come back to the recruiting side of it, this is where a lot of times parents and um, young, uh, young high school players, they're looking at the Chinese toy in the box, right? Like that's the best school. That's the best program. And they're not realizing sometimes what it also means sometimes to go to those places. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, listen, Vanderbilt is a great program. If you're a pitcher at Vanderbilt, you know, they have, they have produced some dudes, if you are not mentally ready to go up against those dudes, though, every single day at practice and to have to make jumps and strides every single day, what sort of experience is that for you? If you're not ready to pitch at the Division One level because physically you're not there yet, or maybe you're a guy who physically, you know, this kid throws 90, but he doesn't throw strikes, you know, what sort of experience are you having instead of maybe going somewhere else where they, they're going to force to kind of play you? You know, yeah. and I talk to parents about that all the time. Baseball is a very weird sport. And it's weird because you can get people from across the spectrum in terms of level to still make the major leagues. That does not happen in other sports. You know, basketball players, you're not finding basketball players from Blinn's Community College jumping up in the, in the NBA. It doesn't happen. Yeah. You, know, you don't see uh, in football. How many guys are you seeing, you know, from D3 become NFL players? I mean, you have a couple every year. How many junior college players are you seeing? I mean, I think there was like 24 junior college players alone in the uh, championship series this year. Baseball is weird. It's a skill set that you can get better at, but to get better at it, you have to play it. And I think sometimes when we do this recruiting process and the things that you're talking about with parents is that, you know, you have, you know, State U really loves them. And you, as maybe the coach or the people around them, don't want to tell the kid, I don't know if you're ready for State U. 
I don't know if you're ready for a big time, big time state. You know, you might want to go to a smaller place where you're going to get the work and innings that are needed to get you to that next level. And, you know, that's something, too, that, that you kind of fight against as well. How do you feel like or where do you feel like parents and players can can turn to figure out, am I ready to compete against this sort of competition? You know, you're like, yeah. like you said with Vanderbilt, like how do they figure out that? Well, I think a few things. I think the first thing that they have to do is, I, and, and I just had a had a discussion with, with a couple parents um, a little bit over a month ago, and one of the things I say is that you have to gather baseball people you trust, okay? Because most parents is not someone that we consider a baseball person, and that's okay, right? Like they're just, you know, they're not involved with it every day. It's not what they do for a living. So you want to get yourself involved with some baseball people that you really trust. And you want them to be, you know, complete, you know, basically say, hey, be completely honest about, you know, Dan. Tell me, tell me where Dan sits. And there's going to be an answer there that you might not like. But you're going to have to at least listen to it and then act accordingly if those answers are pretty pretty similar so like i said you went to a smaller d1 school i don't know what you were like in high school but what i'm hoping probably happened was like hey yeah you know that's a small d1 school but you're gonna have a chance to compete right away the coach really likes you the coach wants to put you on the mound right away you know maybe you could have went to maryland you know there's a couple kids at least right now that might be ahead of you you should probably go there you'll catch up eventually because you're going to get the opportunity at a younger place, yeah. at an earlier place. So you have to just listen to these baseball people. The problem is, is that we've now gotten ourselves to a situation where most baseball people that you're talking to now, you're also paying. So you're paying to work in their facility. You're paying to be in their program. And what's going on now is that, well, now we have a conflict of interest, huh? Yeah. You paid, you know, coach at, you know, superstar AAU to get your kids seen well <laughs> now that now the superstar AU coach is saying well you might not be a division one pitcher you could still be a professional pitcher but i think you're gonna have to go either go to the d2 route possibly and that's something that wasn't in the initial plan so that's a really tough part too but that's usually what i tell them is that get some baseball people that you really really trust listen to them you know actually absorb it and make a move accordingly. So you do a lot of, it seems like, recruiting the human, like recruiting the person. And yes. uh, how do you guys use some of the new tools and analytics and all that stuff, the, the exit velos, the spin <laughs> rates? Like, what? give me your take on that. I would say that that stuff hasn't really hit the uh, – the youth level yet in terms of pitching wise, you know, the spin rates and stuff are, you're just starting to get that the exit velos, um, the exit velos that they started, I would say seemed like about five, six years ago where every kid knew what his exit velo was. Mm-hmm. Um, so really I, I still think that we're using pretty, um, not archaic, but pretty much we're still with the standard, you know, what your velocity is on certain pitches and things like that. Um, I think as we go on, we're going to get, we're going to get a whole new level 
uh, with the spin rates and, and, and things like that. As more, once again, these facilities start to get them. And as this technology becomes cheaper to get, you know, the Rapsodo machi- machines and such forth. But when I go to a high school game, I just can't set up a trackman, you know. Yeah. So a lot of that has to do with um, when you're watching a guy. One thing that I've tried to explain is that we're all of a sudden becoming amazed at spin rate. Well, he has a high spin rate. You know, there used to be a time where you could figure out if a guy had high spin rate. You'd go to the game. He's throwing 84. 84 is above average for high school, okay? He's throwing 84, and he's blowing it by everyone like it's 95. And you sit there, and you start to question, well, uh, is the kid terrible that he's facing? Or does something else, something different going on here? Typically, you know, we would, we would, we would, you know, put in quotations fastball with life, right? Or, or he throws the, the rise ball or the, the you know, invisible, say, yeah, the invisible, yeah. The kid had spin rate, and we just were trying to figure out a way why his fastball wasn't or is more effective than the guy throwing eighty-eight. So I, I think we we've always kind of done that, and now we have a new metric to actually prove it. Um, but from an analytical side. I think what's happening too is that we're taking these really, um, these really uh, kind of bare measurements and using them to recruit without seeing the whole picture. So you'll get the text from the kid, "Hey, my exit fuel is 100." Holy crap, that's awesome, right? And then you see his video, you're like, "Wow, this kid looks like a softball player," you know? Yeah. And then when you go, "Okay, what'd you hit in high school?" And he comes back, "Well, you know." I didn't play every game, and all of a sudden, the real thing comes out. Like, it's it's easy to be a strong kid and get exit below. When it's not easy to be a strong kid, have exit below, and get 500. Yeah. So that's where we're – I think we're actually going back to some of the older statistics because the new ones, I mean, if you want to find a kid with an exit below 90-plus, which is unbelievable for a kid at the age of 16, dude, you can find thousands of them now. It's so easy to find. It's still really hard to find a kid that at 500. So yeah. you have to go back a little bit and start to ask those other questions now. So you say, hey, I know physically the kid is at, you know, point A, you know, but where was he during the year in terms of, you know, where'd you bat him in the lineup? You know, how many strikeouts did he have? Does he see spin at all? You know, and these are all questions that we're going back to, to their other coaches. You know, once again, the more the very traditional uh, recruiting questions and scouting questions. Yeah. So does the exit velo and all that stuff, does that lure you down to see a kid? So you, you, know, you scroll down the, the PG list and you sure, see Sure, 98? sure. Well, I don't know if it's just that, but if you if a, if, a, if someone that we trust reaches out and says, hey, this kid is, you know, I, I always like to use the word freak. Hey, we got this. He's a freak. He's fast and he's strong. You got to see him. That can certainly get us out, for sure. Um, but at the same time, if a kid only has, let's say, an 80 exit velo, which isn't you know, off the charts, but you know that he's just a really good player, we're not going to allow the, his 80 exit velo to be a reason why we're not going to recruit him. Yeah. You know, It's like the same thing with the 60 time. The kids in high school, he's running a 7-3. He's not very fast. But you know, he also, you know, every time we see him, he's hitting doubles. Well, I see a lot of guys who are super fast who can't put the ball in play. So we're gonna we're gonna still stay with the kid who looks more like the baseball player. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. And I think that's that's 
becoming probably more underrated than ever because I see, you know, you probably shake your head going through Instagram like I do where, you know, you see a kid like literally, like you said, hitting a softball swing that'd be a home run on hit tracks. And you're like, mm-hmm. what are we what are we doing? Like, is, is this baseball? Because that swing doesn't exist in the real world. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's great. We, we, there's a great clip and uh, you can find it. It's uh, I don't know if you've seen have you Did you see it when Joey Votto, he was on MLB Network this year. And he was talking about, I think it was actually on, like, their Saturday kids show. But you can look it up, Joey Votto, MLB Network, talking about launch angle. Did you, did you see that at all? I think so. Wasn't it maybe, like, six months ago? Yeah. And he's basically yeah. saying that, you know, and the best part he says is that we're not selling the whole picture. So, like, when Josh Donaldson said, you know, if your coach is telling you to hit a ground ball, you know, don't listen to him, whatever it was, you know, what you're not telling the rest of the kids that like, Josh Donaldson is one of the top ten baseball players alive so he's gotten to the point in his career where he's like you know what i am going to start to cheat a little bit here i am going to try to lift a little bit more here because i can do it and i think that's kind of what's going on in a lot of these facilities and stuff is that you could train velocity you can train exit velo but it's not always going to translate into success during the game and I think that's something that we have to be very careful of when we're doing our recruiting is, yeah, you know what, look at this kid. This kid just hit a ball, you know, you know, a, a front toss, and it went 104 miles an hour. That's ridiculous. And then you have to, like you said, you have to start saying to yourself, yeah, but when's him? But, but, you know, that looks like he's going all or nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's he going to look like when he goes up against Houston and, you know, that guy's going to be, you know, carving him up with, the change-ups in and on the hands with, with, with hard stuff, you know, you start to say to yourself, you know, these things typically don't look like they work at our level. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Yeah. So do you feel like some of these kids, because I think it's, it's, it's a great thing that everyone is more educated now than ever. Like you can mm-hmm. learn so much about hitting, strength training, all of it, you know, by 15 years old. You can, you know, people yeah. are light years ahead of where they were when I was growing up, when you were growing up. Um, do you feel like with some of these recruits, like say you got a kid who's taken that softball kind of swing and he's like super bought into you know, what his coach is doing. Can like, does that a red flag for you? Are you going to, is that kid going to be coachable? Can you coach him like, Hey, out of that stuff? If it's kind of like, I don't know. Do you see that now? Um, you're seeing it more. Yeah. It could definitely be a red flag. You know, it could definitely be, um, and, and from the pitching side too, you know, you have these guys doing a lot of uh, weighted ball things that, you know, certainly I typically don't coach for the main reason was, you know, I wasn't coached on it, so I don't feel comfortable doing it. You know, it's one of those, like, I didn't do this. I'm not an expert on this. I'm not saying I'm a super expert on pitching, but at least I did that. You know, at least I, yeah. I, was, I was there. Uh, so, you know, and what you're starting to see is, is that it does get to be a red flag because they tend not to uh, drive home the things that you know are going to be successful when they get up here. You know, one of the things that we've been starting to do now with our guys, is we're making them actually take baseball quizzes, you know, you know, uh, in when terms the, of when you know, the white thing comes near you, what do you do with your mitt? <laughs> A, make it go in it. Yeah. But more in terms of just like, yeah, just baseball IQ stuff. Because like I said, you're right, man. You're going to have guys in there at a younger age understanding, you know, biomechanics and things like that. But 
they don't understand the very simple game that we play at times as well. Yeah. Because there's so much more of an emphasis on getting that exit below from 80 to 81. You know, getting the getting the fastball to 83 to 85. Well, whatever it ends up being, they're certainly not okay. Uh, being able to being able to hit a ball to the right of second base without altering your swing too much. Uh, being able to use the middle of the field more often. Being able to keep your hands back on off-speed pitches. Um, being able to being able to understand uh, what the defense is trying to do to you. On the flip side, with a pitcher, yeah, you might be throwing 85, but what's it mean when you see a kid who has really low hands up at the plate? Where do you think you should be able to attack them? Uh, what happens, you know, you know, when the kid is jumping all over your fastball start off, how do you go and attack that to get him off your fastball later on in the game? All these things that they're not focusing on because they're focusing on really one thing, you yeah. know. And those are the type of things that when if you do get a kid like that, when they come in, you, you know, you're starting to see that those guys have the hardest, the hardest adjustments because their game isn't well-rounded. You know, their game is very much – you know, turned into, you know, almost like a, like a gymnastics event where they're just trying to get the best score possible. You know, we don't do that. You know, our game, and, and especially, you know, the, the, the difference between this level and, let's say, you know, an AAU game is so much different than when they get there. If they're not well-rounded, they tend to have a really hard time surviving. Yeah, and I, I think, like, there might be a Joey Gallo effect where, as soon as you see one example of, a, of someone who's a freak of nature do something, you think that yeah. then that applies to you. Like, you know, people do that with, like, Dustin Pedroia. Like, oh, I'm 5'6". Yeah. It's fine. Like, I don't need to gain weight. It's like, no, dude, Dustin Pedroia is, like, the best fielder ever. And he's just, <laughs> yeah. like, the best baseball player. Like, you need to be big and strong. Don't be like, don't be like Dustin Pedroia. And, like, Joey yeah. Gallo, like, how many guys could hit 230 or was it 220 or 210 yeah. Yeah. and hit 40 jacks? And like he was legitimately, I think the the kind of the consensus was that he was that he was a valuable player, right? Even though by traditional standards, like hitting two ten is not great, yeah. but you can't do that as a high schooler when who has power like that? You know? What yeah, I mean? and, yeah, and you're right. You're... Outliers well, are, are tough examples, I think, for kids to grasp sometimes because they want to say, "Oh, I could be like that." Where like for every Jose Altuve and Dustin Pedroia, that gives kids hope, which is great. Because you're right, like small players can be amazing players, and Altuve yeah. proves that every day. But that's not to say that that I mean that can I think on the other hand lead to complacency, where kids that need to do other things don't do them because like oh I can just be like him. Yeah, I think I think something and something that we have, uh, you know, our hitting coach describes it I think the best way is that when you're seeing guys at that level of baseball, Gallo, Donaldson. And, you know, who else? Trout. Okay. You're not just seeing a baseball player. What you're seeing is, you know, the highest degree black belt. Okay. At, <laughs> at yeah. baseball. Okay. You're seeing Bruce Lee. Okay. You are not Bruce Lee. The, the problem that we have is that you have to get the other belts first <laughs> before you get to that degree black belt. And that is something they have a very hard time understanding. And it's something that we're trying to get through. Like, we're focusing on the cool. The home run is cool. The launch angle is cool. The exit below is cool. It's all cool. That we don't want to look at the guys 
cool, really good, and they don't do it cool. I don't think Joey Votto does it very cool. Telling guys to hit, hit balls hard on a line in the middle of the field, it takes a really long time to be able to do that, and it's very hard. But if you get good at that, you're going to have more success as you go on, more sustained success. But it just takes a lot longer to get good at. Whereas we've talked about, if you just keep flipping me soft toss, and I get this angle correctly, yeah, I'm going to be able to hit it farther and hit it harder. But the problem is, when you get into a game, the guy's not putting it on a tee. And the guy's not making it nice and straight and easy to hit. So, you know, the, the game aspect of it really makes it a lot different. And I feel like most guys and kids don't want to look at the other the way the other guys are doing that are really successful as well. They just want to see the cool ones, right? Yeah. Steve Malinowski at Hartford says it the best way. I think this is the best way for guys that like to live inside a cage. The cage is the zoo. When you go to the zoo and you see a lion, nothing happens to your heart, right? You yeah. Oh, my God, look at that lion. That's really cool. You know when you see a gorilla, yeah, look at that gorilla. That's really cool. If you got dropped off in the jungle and you saw a lion and you saw a gorilla, your heart's doing a lot of different things. And you certainly are going to be acting a lot differently. Well, that's what they keep forgetting when they go into the, into the cage. My swing looks good here. I'm feeling great. I just hit that 90. That's great. Well, guess what? When you get dropped off in the jungle and you got to face a kid throwing 93 with an exploding slider, you're going to realize that the zoom might not have been the real thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think the first adjustment? So you get these kids that are good athletes. They're good players. They come in to UConn. What, tell me the first like couple adjustments and it might be across the board or maybe there's position player specific or hitter specific or pitcher specific, but what do you feel like kids do the first couple things to like pull themselves up to the level that you want them at or, or to where they can compete? Well, I think the first thing that has to happen is that for the most part, they have to fail. And you have to let them fail. Um, I think as coaches, I think our, our natural reaction is when you see something, somebody not doing something the right way, you jump on it right away. Nope. Let them fail. Let them do it their way. And then let them come to you. It's a lot more easier when they're asking for help than when you're trying to say you're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? Because yeah, they've been doing sure. it right their whole life. Now, they, now they're saying, hey, I've been doing this right my whole life and it's not working. Well, that's a lot more powerful. Okay, I think the easiest thing, though, for most guys, you know, day one, just to kind of harp on, is just playing the game the right way. Are you are you going out there? Are you doing the things that you can control in terms? Of, are you hustling? Are you running balls out? Are you playing? You know, are you playing at a high level? Are you paying attention to the signs and things that we're asking you to do to make the game a little bit easier? Or are you still in? You know. Johnny All-Star mode where you hit a pop-up to something and that ran it out, you know, where everything starts to spiral on you, you know, and from a pitching standpoint, same thing, you know, are you going out there and just thinking you're going to strike everybody out so you're not paying attention to runners and all the other things that we've asked you to, to work on? Well, now it gets really hard because now we're bad at everything. Instead of just trying to do the things that, you know, the things that will make it much easier for you, you know, simplifying, making the game easier so we can actually start to attack your skill set once you're ready. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, my uh, my college coach said the same thing. Like, he, you know, in the fall, as a freshman, he wasn't going to say a whole lot to you because he knew you are just going to, like, nah, coach, I know what I'm doing, you know, that kind of thing. And he would, he would let you get destroyed 
and then come back and, and talk to him. So, so I had a kid I had a kid one time who uh he was out there and he you know, he had you know, at second base he had his glove completely open and our guys were stealing their signs were stealing his signs and he wasn't good at holding guys on. They were they were running on him. He wasn't good at uh, feeling his position. And I was just out there uh, umping that day behind. And I was like, "Hey, man, you got to close up your glove. They're stealing your signs, man. And they're just they're just destroying you because they're stealing on off speed pitches." And and he looked at me and goes, "I just want to pitch." And I, wow. And it was just one of those things where it's like, "Yeah, man, this is pitching," you know. <laughs> I know that you might, you know, I know that you thought pitching was just you versus the hitter, but this is pitching too, you know? And I think for some guys that's, you know, that's what they kind of get into too, because that's, it's just not part of the game that they play prior to coming to college. Yeah. And I think that's, and I don't, I don't know if that's, if people don't grasp that as much anymore because they don't maybe play as much like backyard baseball or whatever it is, but I think that sentiment that throwing the ball towards the guy who's squatting down there with his mitt yeah. is pitching, but yes. it's not, it's all the other things. And, uh, well, you know, well, look at the... how we train them. Look at how terribly we train these guys. And what I mean by that is, you know, you look at the system that, 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 that's currently, uh, available. Okay. You have obviously high school baseball, which is the closest that you're going to get, at least from a, um, baseball standpoint, the game you're going to play. Now, depending on the high school that you play or the league that you're in, your talent levels might be completely off, right? So you might come from mm-hmm. an area that doesn't have strong high school baseball. But for the most part, high school baseball, you should be seeing things that you tend to see more often in uh, college. You're going to see more bunts. You're going to see, hopefully, uh, more guys you know playing the whole game. Uh, the score matters. There's not a time limit. All these things that tend that when they go away for the summer, it's completely different. Yeah, guys playing wood bat, they're not strong enough for wood bat. They're not. But we continue to have them swing wood bat. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> Every single uh, game should be with a metal bat, in my mind. And I've heard the other, well, if you can swing with a wood bat, you can swing with anything. College guys can't swing with wood bats. Go look at the Cape Codley. They got major leaguers all over that place. Go look at their batting averages. They can't swing with wood bat yet. So let's have them have metal bats up until then, okay? The second thing is they play with time limits, and they play AAU where the games really don't matter. In AAU, we've gotten to the point now where it's this is my time. I don't care if we win or lose. If you know, And I know that you're saying, oh, that's not true. It is kind of true, you know? If you pitch three innings and they pull you out after three innings and you had a really good day, you're jacked, especially if the coaches were there. You know, if the guy behind you just blew it and you're not getting that trophy on Sunday, oh, well, you know, uh, UMBC saw me today and I pitched pretty well. I know they're probably going to want to see me again or reach out to me or whatever happens next, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, it's just a, it's just a really – really terrible way of doing it because when they come up here the first thing that we try to tell them is that you know, this has to be a team effort for us to get where we want to go you know everything that we do matters you know where you know in the summertime it doesn't i mean I, I can't tell you how many summer games you don't see guys run out you don't see guys know uh know how many outs there are you never see a bunt i mean ever unless the kid is so fast that he's showing that he can punt for a hit so you can get a time down the first, you're not going to see one. Yeah. 
you, know, you never see multiple signs. You never see uh, pick signs at second base. You never see backdoor picks. You don't see any of these things because the coach there, that's not his job. His job is to basically be your promoter. So he's going to, you know, he's going to put the guy there where he's supposed to be. And he's going to tell the coaches, they, you know, hey, this kid's playing so-and-so. And, it, you know, it really makes the game secondary. The game becomes very much more like an exhibition. And then when they come in here, we are psychos, right? Everything matters. <laughs> Everything yeah. matters. Everything you do matters. And we're just doing a terrible job, terrible job training them. And I'm super fortunate when I tell guys that I am so happy I was a part of that last wave of, like, local town Legion baseball because I didn't have to go through it the way they did. You know, so for me, I always feel very, very fortunate because these guys are having a really rough time when they come in because of it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a tough cycle to break because you just want to keep playing and, you know, you want to make it to the next level and, and you learn over time, like what scouts look for. And, and everyone's, I think, kind of just lining up because of what you guys do, like as recruiters. Like, I think everyone's part of this whole big cycle. Yep. But you're right. The the art of like I want to win baseball games, it it's it seems like it's, it gets lost and then it gets regained at some point. Maybe that's college and maybe you lose yeah. it again in pro ball, depending because it, it goes back to the same thing. Guys in pro ball want to make it to the majors. They want to get promoted. Um, right. But at the same time, it it always that like complacency, like oh I'm okay that we lost. It wears on you over time. Like you, it feels unnatural. And then I think yeah. you start to gain it back if you have that competition in you. And most of the guys I think that probably play the highest levels, or you know, that go on past college baseball, they do have that com- that competition in them. But it is easy yeah. to brush it off, you know, when you did your job, and that's all you can do because we're all process oriented, right? <laughs> but yeah. It's okay to be like. This sucks. Like we we lost. Yeah, and and I think the other thing too is when you're doing these, these you know these AAU tournaments where pitchers are only going three innings and then they're throwing a showcase on Wednesday and then it just becomes a very it's just very unnatural. You know I cannot you know I I don't know how many guys go out there, and it's actually you know on them to win or lose the game as a pitcher. You know, typically they're piggybacking. So they did three innings, and then your buddy did three innings. Well, you guys did a nice job. That's great. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in college, that we don't have games like that. But how many guys are going out there where they where they have to pitch in, in a situation where they're tired, where they have to pitch in a situation where it is all on them, whether they win or lose that game? And these sorts of things, you know, hey, you know, I pitched, you know, six innings today. I gave one run, and I lost. Ugh. You know, that, that awful feeling that even though you were good that day, you know, that you lost. Those those things aren't happening anymore. You know, especially in the summertime. You have a guy going out there, hey, these three innings, I gave up the one run. But, you know, my, you know whatever. I pitched pretty well. You know, it, you can check it off the box that you did an okay job. You know, that's the sort of thing that, that I think is being lost, that when they get to college, you know, it's a brand new a brand new, you know, thought process and definitely the stakes are so much higher and there's so much more pressure uh, during those games that it does not train them very well. And I think that's usually why most guys, when they come in, have such a hard time adjusting to it. And then once you do get adjusted to it, it's not that bad. But early on, I think that's usually the toughest thing for them. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I want to get your opinion real quick uh, on summer baseball at the collegiate level. So I know you coach at the Cape. Um, yeah. And obviously you guys send, I'm sure you send guys off to the Cape every year. So tell sure. me a little bit about that uh, because I think that's, number one, there's a couple of things I think that are changing, which is more and more players are taking the summer off to like train. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. I'm interested to hear your take on. And also, I just think a lot of parents don't understand. They just don't, they're not exposed to that yet. Like what happens in summer baseball when you then go to college? I, I, I am, I'm a little disappointed in where it looks like the culture of our sport is going when it comes to summer baseball. It seems more and more kids are taking off and they're not playing. And, um, I, I think that's a real – I just think that's a, a really disappointing uh, outcome that, 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 that's, that's becoming with I, – I, I have to believe it's with the salaries and stuff that the coaches are getting. You know, don't get me wrong. I like that the salaries are going up, but I think it's a byproduct of it as well. Um, but there, there's – to me, there's, there's two main issues with summer baseball. The first one is there's too many teams. There's just too many teams. There's too many leagues. And uh, yeah, the Northwoods has has a bunch of teams. They play whatever eighty games. Yeah, the Cape League. You know, in New England alone, you have uh, the Cape. You have the Futures League. Uh, you have New England Collegiate Baseball League. And then right outside that, you have New York Collegiate Baseball League, the Perfect Game League, and the Hamptons League, and the ACBL. I mean, there's yeah, too many. You know, there's just too many. So. We're watering down a product that should be very good. If you're if you're a pretty good college baseball player, you should have those leagues available to you to get better in the summertime. On top of that, if you're not good enough, there are more than enough men's leagues throughout the country where you can play throughout the summer. So, you know, uh, when I was playing, that was a, 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 a you know that was an option, and it wasn't a frowned upon option. You know, whether you had to stay back to work in the summer. When, you know, you were a freshman and, you know, any CBL team didn't want you because you didn't play enough. And you go off into the summer and you play with a bunch of men and, and you come back. These options used to be there. And now it's like, oh, no, I'll just play in the summer league, uh, you know, before <laughs> guys are coming and going. Um, the second thing is that, you know, guys are just being shut down and guys aren't playing. You know, we play a sport. I believe that you get better playing every day. You know, you have to play every day, you know, and I think with our guys is, or the, the, our generation is that if they, you know, if they don't feel great, they want to come home. If they're not in a situation in terms of an area where they want to spend two months, they want to come home. Uh, if they're not doing well, they want to come home. If they're not playing every day, they want to come home. And it's a really frustrating thing because it's, you know, it's like they don't want to, they don't want to face reality. On the other side of it, you have uh, college coaches now telling their best players don't go because they're so afraid of them getting hurt. And because of the contracts that are involved and the money that's involved, they want to have their best players available. Well, I am trying to explain um, to people, to, to some of my colleagues, that I don't think I'm that good of a coach. And what I mean by that is, is that I don't think I should be the only voice my guys hear. Like, I don't get ego. My ego doesn't get wounded when a kid comes back and is like, hey, I learned a cutter this summer, and look, it's really good. Oh, great. Or, hey, you know, I learned this new training regimen. It makes my arm feel great. 
well, that's not my training regimen. You know, I don't do that. So for me, I think that, you know, this game is a, it's very much a global game. It's a game where the more information that's being shared and that you're learning from different sources, the better your game gets rounded out. The way coaches explain things sometimes are a lot better than when they don't uh, or the way another guy doesn't, you know, and, you know, it gets to a point that you're taking that opportunity away from a kid because you're just afraid they might get hurt and that's wins off your record. That's not fair. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. The kid's like, listen, I am tired. You know, you get pitches like, my arm doesn't feel great. I'm tired. Okay, fine. That's that's one thing. Yeah. You know, or hey, you know, my knee is killing me every time I you know every time I try to beat out a ground ball. You know, I'm just feeling you know you know pain in my knee or something. Well, yeah, you want you want those kids home, but if you're a 20 year old kid and you're in really good shape, are we now saying that baseball is now a sport that is that is you know breaking you down now? Is that where we're at now with it? You know, we expect them to play 162 of these, you know, by the time they're 25, but we can't ask them to play more than 70 in a year now. I think that's crazy. Yeah. I just think it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I had uh, two points to your uh, to your, your reasoning. I had a, a friend who, who runs one of these leagues, uh, a collegiate league, and it was interesting. He was saying how, you know, less and less of the bigger schools are sending him their kids and a lot of the bigger school kids are the first ones to go home when they struggle they're the first mm-hmm. ones he's like mm-hmm. you know, it, just, it just seems like these kids have such an amazing clubhouse such amazing food such amazing fields to play on all the time that when they go to a place that's a little grittier that's not you know this gorgeous everything done for them kind of situation and they don't do well they just want to just quit and that some of these bigger school kids like sometimes seem like they're coddled, which I thought was really interesting. And I seen that in independent ball, like in independent ball, which, you know, I played six, six years of independent ball. Nice. Uh, you know, they, you don't see guys from university of Miami playing indie ball. You don't see many guys even from like a Yukon play. Uh, and it's certainly not a rag on Yukon. You just see a <laughs> lot of guys who didn't get experiences play indie ball. Like I, you know, I played at UMBC. I was super thankful for the chance. But I played in front of 100 fans, you know, every game. Right. So I was desperate to play in front of thousands of people. I wanted that experience. I wanted to play on nicer fields. Like, I wanted to get all that stuff. But I feel like when you get all that, you know, you play at a, a place, you know, like Southern California. Like, <laughs> indie ball is a step down. You know, like, the competition's better. But every, every other aspect of your life is, is a step down. The food, Correct. the clubhouse, the travel, everything. And who wants that? Who wants to go backwards? Like, you want to feel like you're going up. But I think most of the minor leagues, and I know Kevin, our friend Kevin and everyone else would corroborate, the minor leagues are hard. You know, the, sure. the services are nice, but the travel's brutal, the food's brutal, the clubhouses are often brutal. They're a step yeah. down from all these big college fields. Like, I was looking at University of Kentucky's new, uh, <laughs> new clubhouse and all that stuff. I'm like, this is – I don't know that this is the right thing. Like, like, I think it's amazing. It's great that they take care of their players that much, but how does – how does that prepare them for like the grind of, of pro ball when they move on? It just and once again, it, it, it probably crazy. it probably doesn't. Um, I think that they're probably recruiting talent that'll be good enough to you know overcome it because their talent will certainly, hopefully, be able to you know get past it. But it also comes back to that thing where you know that I've talked to guys about too is that do you like playing baseball or not? 
Yeah. If you really like playing baseball, and I've told this to our guys on numerous occasions, then you don't care where you're playing in the summer. Because you're just jacked that you're going to be able to play baseball. Right? Like, you know, hey, we're playing every day. Awesome. You know, and, and I really do mean this. When I play, I was fortunate enough to play one summer down in Newmarket, Virginia. I lived on a farm. You know, I was not from an area that had much farmland. I certainly didn't grow up on one. You know, uh, there were there were guys in, in the stands that were clearly farmers that were coming out at night. You know, after they did all their chores, you know, you know, real blue collar, awesome town. Okay, um, I didn't listen to country music growing up. You never heard it on the radio stations where I lived in Connecticut. You know, that's all you heard down there. So, from a cultural standpoint, completely different. I didn't get playing one day, man. And I was playing, you know, we were playing every day. We were playing every single day. This is great. The people, the, the fans care about us. They're treating us, you know, they, they treat us very well. And we were playing every day. I don't understand what happens to a lot of these guys where it's like you said, like, well, wait a second. There's not 4,000 people in the stadium. I can't play in front of this. Yeah. What? Says who? <laughs> you know, it's still a game. You know, if you, you know. If you, if my arm was good enough to keep on pitching, I tell my guys this too. My arm is not anymore. But if my arm was good enough, I would be pitching in a in a summer league somewhere, whether it be Sunday mornings or something, because there's nothing better than it. There isn't. There's nothing in my mind better than playing. If I was good enough to go out there and play third base somewhere, you know, I would be doing that because there's nothing better than baseball. So what do I have to do instead? I have to play old man softball in the fall <laughs> to get like the most. <laughs> The most generic sense of what the game is, right? Yeah. The, the the most boiled down version of it, you know, because that's how much I like it. I don't think our guys love it, and I think that's another major issue. And I think we create these scenarios where they can only play, you know, when they are being treated the way they feel like they need to be treated. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get all your launch angle in playing softball. That's for sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, that's probably why I'm not good. Good softball <laughs> But I, but I, I also agree with your point. Where, you know, I know one of my biggest mentors was one of my summer ball coaches. You know, and he, yeah. he was a gritty. He played uh, independent ball. He was drafted by the Red Sox. Played a year for them. Played indie ball for six years. He was a, a left-handed pitcher, and I learned more in that summer. And I played two more summers for him. But I learned so much that summer about pitching. You know, like yeah. we just didn't. Have, we didn't have a full-time pitching coach my uh, first three years, so we had a catcher who he's their, their head coach now, and he's a great guy, and he knows a lot about pitching. But you know, there's I don't think there's a replacement for a true pitching coach, a guy like you said who's who's done it. Yeah. Um, and I just learned so much from him and his a different way. And I the thing I learned that was different was just his personality was fundamentally just way out in left field compared to my other coaches. And yeah. I learned just toughness and grittiness and like that losing is not okay attitude from him that was really big for me at that point in my life I didn't know it at that point but um he was a really big influence on me and if I hadn't played summer ball I wouldn't have gotten that and I it would have definitely changed my career path uh you know for the worse so I, I was thankful for coach Duffy uh, who's still part of my life like he's you know like, and so I like you said I, I think that's admirable that you're not to the point where you're trying to control their experience because and, you just never know what you're going to pick up from somebody. And where are the comparisons then? Let's say you are a pitcher on my team and you think I'm a clown, which I'm sure there might be one, right? You think, you know what? Mac is a clown. <laughs> where is your comparison? 
The only person that you're hearing from is the person that you think is a clown or you don't think might know his stuff or doesn't know how to get through to you. If you don't go off and, and meet other coaches and listen to other philosophies and listen to other, other players that talk about it, you know, I think with the other thing too, and I've talked to a lot of my colleagues, I'm like, listen, if you think you're pretty good, you should send them away because they're going to come back with horror stories of what they feel like their experience is. And they're going to buy in so much more when they come back, as long as you're open to the things that they've learned. You know what I mean? So yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. You're not giving them anything to compare off of. It's just your, it's just your tone, your instruction over and over and over again. And if they're not having the highest levels of success, or if there's, a, if there's something that they feel like they're lacking that you haven't been able to pull out of them, well, then that's on you. Or on the flip side, maybe they do go off. They do have another coach. Maybe things aren't the same sort of way for them. Maybe they don't, and they come back, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know what? This guy knows what he's doing. This guy, you know, I like the way this guy does it. Or it's, hey, I, hey, you know what, Coach? I really like this sort of long toss program. This made my arm feel better. And as long as you don't have, you know, really – you know, super strong ego to change, you know, all of a sudden you got a guy who's not buying in. He, you know, he's just learning more on his own about his own game. And I, once again, I just think it's crazy. What we're basically saying is that I'm the greatest coach you're ever going to have. Just listen to me for three years. That's just insane. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I know I appreciate my, my college coach more with each passing year because he was so big on like the life lessons and preparing you for real life and just all that stuff that I, I I mentioned him a bunch in this in this episode with you like as the years go on and as I'm exposed to more people and I'm coaching people I realize that he gets he gets smarter as the years go by so <laughs> yeah so I think there's a lot there so as we wrap up coach uh yeah. is there anything else that you'd like to divulge <laughs> deep, I feel like... <laughs> deep within the labyrinth that is your brain <laughs> Did I complain enough? I feel like I just complained. Um, no, I, I, if you're, if you're, just if you're a young, if you're a young pitcher, and you're listening to this, or you're a parent of a young pitcher and listening to it, you know, just, just try to learn as much as you can, watch as much as you can. You know, like what you were saying before. Um, there is just so much available now for guys to see. You know, there's so much available for them to learn. And there are so many different ways of doing it now with technology. You just just learn as much as you can. Try to get as much knowledge as humanly possible, okay? And apply it to the right things. You know, like I said before, we, we this is not gymnastics. You don't throw one pitch and get a 9.8 from the Russian judges, okay? <laughs> we have to get guys out. And there's a million different ways of doing it. Okay, and there's a million different ways to go about it. So because of that, just try to learn as much as you can, you know, and try to use those resources. You know, hey, I, I, I was just talking to Vance. You know, I'm going to give you a plug here. But your pitch isn't, isn't complicated, book. I picked that up last year for a few reasons. Listen, I've read through it. Some things I really liked. Some things I'm like, you know what, that's a little bit out there for me. I can't teach that, and especially the mechanical stuff, some of those things. But you know why I kept it? Because I felt like if a guy came into my office and my thing, my explanation wasn't getting through to him, I could at least be like, well, here's how another guy explains it. And I thought it was very general. It was very easy to read. It was very um, 
you explain things very simply for somebody to pick up. But my point is that it was just one of those things like, here, look at this. Hey, you want to know how to throw a, a change up like Johan Santana? Google it. You want to throw Mariano's cutter? Google it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just so much there for you. Um, you want to hear how Maddox used to set up pitchers, uh, set up hitters? Google it. <laughs> you know, there's just there's just so much information out there for them. Don't just be a guy who is, you know, hey, I'm going to pick up this four ounce ball to get from 87 to 88 because now I'm better. You know, that's not how this always works. You know, so that would be my, my last thing. If you're listening to this, please, 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 you know, put in the time and effort uh, to just learn more. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the kind words about, about my book. Um, and yeah, if you're out there listening to this, hopefully this podcast is giving you hope because he basically described me, who's the most unathletic person you could find. Uh, you don't have to be able to field blunts well. You don't have to be able to play basketball well. If you at just some do a couple point, things at some good, point, I'd like for you to field blunts, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, funny story, I, I legitimately hate fielding blunts. Uh, I'm fine when they're far enough away where I can throw them hard. <laughs> But I get the yips when I get within like 40 feet, so okay. I gotta stay long range. But yeah, I I somehow managed to not get a single comebacker or bunt for I think the first 48 of my 50 appearances in like my second to last season. I was That's just like, I hit like late August, and I was just like, I haven't got a single comebacker all year. This is the best year of my life. <laughs> like, no one has to know that I can't do any of that stuff. It's, so, it's just it, it's so great. So, um, well, Coach, uh, are there ways that anyone can follow up with you on social media? Is there anywhere you'd like yeah, uh, I'm not, to lead I, back to you? I am. I'm not a Twitter guy. Um, uh, I think that's best for everyone. Every now and then, when I do have free thoughts, if I did have an avenue to let them out, you know, you might have students, you know, outraging outside my office. So we don't want to do that. Um, but I have email, joshua.mcdonald.uconnell.edu. Uh, if anybody, if anybody wants to reach out to me, uh, I'll get back to them. Um, but that's, that's about it. That's about as, as, as much technology as, as I have. <laughs> okay. Keeping it simple. So yeah, send him a letter attached to a homing pigeon and <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Out of there. yes. All right. Well, Josh, thanks so much for being on the show. I think this is an awesome conversation and, uh, best of luck to you guys out there, uh, in, in Alaska and Siberia this year. <laughs> Thank, thanks a lot, Dan. All right, well, that wraps it up for today's episode. I want to thank, again, my, my guest, Josh McDonald. He is, again, the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator for UConn Baseball. And, you know, today was just a really awesome conversation. You know, he's very candid. He's very to the point. Pitching, it's getting harder to navigate, I think, than ever. The recruiting process is very difficult to navigate. But I think he gave a lot of really great insights as to, you know, what you should be doing as a player, as a parent what you should value and what you should kind of ignore. So hopefully today gave you some clarity if you're, a, you know, the parent or a player in, in high school baseball where you're trying to understand like what the process should look for you. Because again, just, you know, to mirror one of his, I think, really good take home uh, statements is that you have to find a, a school that, that fits you and you don't want to go there and have this miserable experience where you can't play, you can't compete, maybe you went a little bit too high for your, for your ability and it just becomes a struggle. So if you enjoyed this show today, please share it, send it out on Facebook, shoot a tweet, and leave a comment. Let us know what you, uh, what you enjoyed most. And lastly, if you aren't yet, definitely subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Check us out here. Don't forget that we have a video version as well, and that's on my YouTube channel. So 
feel free to jump on there, subscribe. We've got a lot of new videos, uh, podcast episodes, lots of stuff going on. So thanks again for being here, and we'll see you next week on Tier Baseball Gods.